Have you realized yet that your purpose in life is constantly evolving? The thing is, it can only evolve, grow, and expand to the extent you're willing to do the work to heal. That's why I've created a transformative half-day virtual event designed for purpose chasers who want to integrate their authentic selves in every aspect of their life. Together, we're going to co-create conversations around reflecting on current patterns, amplifying your genuine desires, prioritizing fulfillment over the facade of what you should do, and we'll talk about achieving actual tangible results. I believe our work together will have a profound impact on your life as we break you out of autopilot, scale your potential, and set you up to attract everything you say you desire. Plus, this space will be an enjoyable and supportive environment for new connections with like-hearted purpose chasers from all over the world. Together, we will laugh, dance, and maybe cry, but we'll be doing the work together. If this speaks to your soul and you want to detox and release what's no longer serving you so you can live fully in the pillars of redefining wealth, tickets are currently complimentary for this half day of coaching, training, and co-creating a new blueprint for your heart's desires directly with me. So grab your ticket today at patricewashington.com slash soul detox. That's patricewashington.com slash soul detox. We need to use technology to enhance who we are as human beings, but not replace. Um, Cause it can never actually replace true human connection. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth Podcast with Patrice Washington, and this is where you come every single week to learn what it means to chase purpose, not money. See, around these parts, we don't just subscribe to the original definition of wealth that you may have learned somewhere along your journey that says that wealth is just about money and material possessions. We actually subscribe to the original 12th century definition of wealth, which says it's the condition of well-being. That's why I'm so excited today to sit down with the chief well-being officer for Deloitte. Yes, the accounting firm. Like the chief well-being officer, Jen Fisher, who is here to talk about how technology should enhance, not replace human connection, and also what it means to create moments that matter. Mm -hmm. even in the workplace. But before we get into all of that good stuff, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast because you're going to love it here. And we have hundreds of episodes for you to go back through and get familiar with what I call the six pillars of wealth. These are all the areas of our life that are impacting our finances, even when we're not thinking about it. And so whatever challenges you may be having with your wealth building journey may be actually connected to some other part of life you're not even thinking about. I know it's crazy. Go to patricewashington.com forward slash start here so you can learn more about those six pillars. Now, before we really, really dive in, let's get to the affirmation of the week. You know, you got to speak positivity into your life, into your day. Positivity. You gotta affirm abundance. You gotta affirm yourself to wealth. This week's affirmation is I enforce my boundaries with ease. To protect my personal relationships and honor my personal commitments, I put boundaries in place in my professional life. 
I understand people will not treat me how I treat them, but how I treat myself. My boundaries are an act of self-love and self-care. And when I choose to honor them, it makes the people and things I choose to allow in my life more in alignment with how I see my life. I have and exercise the right to require people to treat me how I want to be treated in any setting. People can choose to honor my limits or accept the consequences, but my boundaries define how I'm willing to spend my most precious resources, including my money, time, and energy. They define what I will and will not accept in my life and how I'll respond if someone fails to respect those boundaries. Declare it with me today. I enforce my boundaries with ease. Today's guest is Jen Fisher. She's a sought after speaker, writer, and leading voice on workplace well being and creating human centered organizational cultures. As Deloitte's first chief well being officer, Jen evolved the U.S. organization's health and wellness program into a first of its kind holistic and inclusive well being strategy by focusing on the importance of mental health and social connection to workforce resilience, happiness, and productivity. Jen is also the work-life integration editor-at-large for Thrive Global, the host of Work Well, a podcast series on the latest work-life trends, and the co-author of the book, Work Better Together, How to Cultivate Strong Relationships to Maximize Well-Being and Boost Bottom Lines. Without further ado, here is Jen Fisher. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Jen. Thank you. It's so good to be here today with you. Oh my gosh. Okay. You are talking about well-being and your bio is long. How are you doing it all? Well, I have an amazing team. I don't do it all. <laughs> none of us, none of us get to where we are or do anything great in life without uh, being surrounded by amazing people. And I am very fortunate to have a great team. I love that. I totally understand because all I do is get on this mic. Everything else after it's this gets handled, is, right? <laughs> it gets handled. I'm surprised when I see it on social media or the podcast app. I'm like, oh, there we go. Yeah, I had nothing to do with that. Um, so I really want to start with, first of all, I just love what you're up to in the world because it really focuses on the first two pillars of wealth that we have here at Redefining Wealth. The first pillar is fit. It's about becoming your best self. But what we talk about is not just physical fitness, but mental well-being. Mm -hmm. And then people, we talk about creating relationships that matter. And you are beautifully kind of integrating those two in your work as well. I would love to know from you because I know most people look at you as an author and a writer and doing all the great things that you do and would assume that you were an entrepreneur, solely <laughs> an entrepreneur out on your own. But you're actually able to do this as chief wellness officer is it wellness or well-being officer it's well-being yeah well-being yeah. officer at deloitte how how did that <laughs> position come about yeah it's a it's a great question it's one that i get often and and i would say you know one of the greatest things about the culture at deloitte is that we do have a very entrepreneurial culture so it probably makes sense that it feels that way um, I, I've been at the organization for 20 years. I have been in my role as chief well-being officer for about seven years. 
Um, and, you know, how I got into this role is really, um, you know, the, the colliding, if you will, of my own personal life and, and what was going on in my life and kind of the needs of the workforce and the needs of the organization at the time. And so if you rewind about seven and a half years ago, I um, found myself in a complete state of burnout, um, so much so that I couldn't get out of bed um, really in any meaningful way engage in my life or in my work. And so I was forced to take some time off. And um, in doing so, I, you know, I had to build myself back up and, you know, and define what well-being meant to me in my life and really define what role work played in my overall life um, and we can kind of discuss what my life looked like prior to that um, it wasn't it. healthy it wasn't healthy by any means and I mean if you think about seven years ago in the workplace so you know now everybody's talking about workplace burnout right it is the topic of the day and it's very real but you know seven years ago nobody was talking about it and so i really didn't know what i was going through i didn't know what i was experiencing i looked around and you know when you work with really smart people in a high performing organization everybody just has a way of you know showing up and you know acting like they have it all together even when they don't um and so i looked around and i was like wow there must be something wrong with me because everybody seems to have it all together they can play all the roles in their life you know be the perfect employee the perfect spouse the perfect partner the perfect sister the per whatever the perfect parent you know pick your roles in your life and so i processed it as failure um, and I think the biggest mistake that I made that people ask me, like, what would you do differently? I didn't ask for help because I didn't know what I was going through. And I just thought that I, I, I didn't cut it. I couldn't cut it. I wasn't good enough to be here. I wasn't smart enough to be here. All of those thoughts come back and you come into your head about, you know, imposter syndrome, you know, they're going to finally find me out <laughs> that I'm not supposed to be here. And, you know, in terms of what my life looked like back then, you know, I, um, you know, I was, I was a rising star and I never really got the, the coaching that I wish I had gotten, you know, and so I, you know, I, I would do a really good job and I would get rewarded for that good job by getting more work or getting a promotion. <laughs> and I would just take it on. I would say yes to everything. And I would tell myself, you know, I can, I can rest. I'll be able to finally rest this weekend or I'll be able to rest when this project is over. But that rest never came because I just kept taking on things and taking on things mm -hmm. because I thought, oh, well, that's how you, you know, that's how you make it in this world. That's how you make it in life. You say yes to everything. And so I said yes to everything. And, you know, did I know that there was something wrong? I did. And did people that cared about me know that there was something wrong? Yes, absolutely. People would point it out, especially my husband. But nobody listens to their spouse. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, because yeah. you're in an environment that makes you feel like, well, this is just what it takes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, um, and so I was, you know, I mean, people would joke that I was super responsive, that I must sleep with my smartphone and, you know, and I would laugh and go along with it. But little did they know, I really actually did sleep with my smartphone, you know, like it was right by my pillow and it was on vibrate and it would wake me up if somebody needed something. I don't know what people actually needed at three o'clock in the morning, but if they did, I was there. <laughs> wow. Um, and, you know, and, but, but that's not, first of all, 
no organization, no, no person should be okay with an organization accepting, you know, expecting that of them. And to be honest with you, it wasn't really Deloitte or my leadership that was expecting that of me. It was my expectations of myself. <laughs> I was just going to say that because, you know, I hear so many people from corporate America. So I've never technically had a job in corporate America. I've been an entrepreneur for most of my life, but the truth is, I've still created those cycles of burnout yeah. like anyone else because there's still that more, more, bigger, better, you can right. go further. And unless you stop yourself, that is literally the behavior that is rewarded. So it you is. do get more clients or you mm -hmm. do get more projects or you do get the next big thing. And so it just begins this cycle, right? But I hear from people all the time who say that their company has these initiatives around wellness but it doesn't necessarily line up with the fact that their supervisor really is sending them emails and texts at 11 yeah. p.m at night yeah yeah and so i and there's a lot of that right we 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 talk the talk but we don't walk the walk necessarily and so we are really trying my role and what i do and what i spend my time on i I, I actually describe my role as much less about the programs and tools and resources that support your well-being and much more focused on culture and how do we change mindset and behavior and cultural norms that have existed within our organization for a long time. And those norms, look, the, the, at the time that they were created, whether they're spoken or unspoken, they were, they were generally well-intentioned. But the way that we work and the expectations of the workforce and what we all need has changed so much. I mean, we kind of, you know, as a, as a society, we have not really changed the way we work, have the way we work for like, I don't know, hundreds of years, maybe we're still, you know, we have technology, but we're still working in many of the same ways. But I think that that's changing. I think something that's really perhaps exciting or, you know, a silver lining of the pandemic, if you can even call it that, is that businesses and business leaders now realize that, you know, I mean, like everything's on the table, right? To change the way we work, the future of work, the discussions around, I mean, and, and the workforce is the great resignation. That's what the workforce is telling us. They're yeah. saying, I want a different way of working. I want a different, you know, place for work in my life. I care about my life and having a meaningful career as part of my overall thriving life. Um, is something that matters to me, but I'm going, I want to do it on my terms and I want to do it at an organization that respects that and respects me as a full person. So yeah. I think it's a really exciting time. <laughs> I think I there's a lot too. of work to do. I think there's a lot I of work do. to do. <laughs> I do too. So Jen, tell me how your experience with burnout actually led you down this path. Like, yeah, I guess I, I kind of went, I went off, I went down a rabbit hole there, right? <laughs> no, so okay. I want to know, what did you say? to actually, you know, go about creating a program for mental health at work. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I went through my own burnout and, you know, had to take time off and the process of building myself back up and kind of reprioritizing my own life, I actually became very passionate about wanting to help others do the same. Um, and so I actually went back to my leader who is now um, to this day is an incredible friend and mentor. And I sat down in front of her and I thanked her for giving me the time and the space to take, you know, to take time to get well and to get healthy. And I was going to resign from the organization. I thanked her and I told her that I wanted to resign because this is what I wanted to do. And there wasn't a role like that at Deloitte. Not that Deloitte didn't have great, great programs and tools and resources. And I took advantage of them when I took my leave of absence, you know, so I was a beneficiary of those. 
but that there wasn't a role. And she was like, well, <laughs> so what if there's not a role, you know, like go write a business case and tell us why you think there should be a role and see if we can get the organization to create it. So she was the one that kind of had the vision. I was going to resign and kind of go pursue a different career. And she was like, you're not going anywhere because if you, I mean, her little, her actual words were, if you need this, then a lot of other people need it too. Mm. Um, and so she, you know, inspired me to really go back and write a business case and leverage the relationships. And I know that's an important part of your platform, the relationships mm -hmm. that I'd built over time being at the organization for so many years and see if I could get, you know, buy-in to, to what I wanted to do. And all of that obviously went really well. <laughs> um, I got the buy-in and, um, you know, seven years and counting and, you know, the world of well-being and, and workforce well-being just continues to grow and evolve and change. And, and like I said, I do think it's a really exciting time because I think organizations are open now to listening to their workforce in a way that they never have been before. Yeah. And so the workforce has a really strong voice and a really cool opportunity to shape where we're going, where we're going with the world of work. Um, you know, obviously there's still some organizations that say we're all going back to the office, but, <laughs> but we'll see. I'm not, I'm yeah, not, we'll I'm, I'm about a little that. skeptical about that. <laughs> well, I just love that your mentor essentially like encouraged you with yeah. that. And I think that's a note for all of us that just because we don't see it, it doesn't mean that exactly. it's not possible, right? Um, sometimes we have to be the ones to use to our voice it. and take a yeah. stand and to create it because, because you used your voice and your experience, you literally are changing like an organization. That's <laughs> yeah. like, that's mind boggling. <laughs> and, and it's literally, I don't want to say it's that simple because I understand that that it doesn't necessarily work out that way 100% of the time. Right. But here where we have predominantly um, a women base, you know, I'm always talking about using your voice to enroll other people in the vision. Yeah. And sometimes it's not that people are not open to it. They just haven't even thought about it. It hasn't been presented, you know, um, clearly or articulately enough for them to say, okay, let's do this. So Deloitte says, okay. <laughs> and what types of results have you seen? Because you mentioned like the resources and the tools, what types of resources and tools might folks who are in corporate America now who may have a chief well-being officer in their organization and they don't even know that these things are available. What should they be looking for? What are they, you know, what yeah. are the things they can reach? I mean, I think it, it could span, right? I mean, it can span from all, all things that are what I would categorize as kind of, you know, traditional um, benefits that most organizations offer to their people. And that is in the form of, you know, healthcare and 401ks and things like that. Um, where I, re and, and those are really important. I think those are foundational, right? Like that's an organization saying we care about you, <laughs> you know, at the at kind of at the most basic level. Um, I think, you know, where I focus a lot of my time is in learning and development. I think when it comes to well-being, we all have a general definition of what well-being means to us. But in corporate America, what we learned, especially at Deloitte very early on, was that nobody spoke the same language around it, right? And so nobody knew how to ask for help or to ask for what they needed, um, except for those few brave souls. Or what would happen was that 
you know, people would have figured out kind of how to navigate it and do it very quietly, but kind of not tell anybody that it's going on because I don't want them to find out and tell me that I can't do it. <laughs> right. And so I think what was really important was that first we created, we kind of created a, we are accountants and consultants. So we created a framework and we created a language which gave people permission to talk about it, to say, oh, I really want to take care of my body. I need help with sleep. I need help with nutrition. I need help with physical fitness or just movement. How do I embed that throughout my day? Or I am, you know, it, it, the focus on, on our, our mind and our mental health was, has always been part of our framework from day one, but we really honed in on it about the second or third year into our efforts to really start to, um, remove the stigma in the workplace to say, hey, we're all human. We're all going to struggle with our mental health at some point in our life. And if it's not us, it's somebody we know, it's someone we work with, it's someone we love. Um, and so this is part of the human condition. And if we're not, you know, if you're employing human beings, you need to care about their mental health. You can't just Absolutely. care about kind of the physical health or the things that are easier to talk about. I have a confession to make. My relationship with looking good is so complicated. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I like high quality clothes. I just don't like going shopping and I definitely don't always want to pay high quality prices, if you know what I'm saying. Plus, I don't always want to wear the same stuff over and over again. So I was super excited when I found out about the clothing rental membership armoire because they are making getting dressed stylish, but super easy. When I signed up, I took a five minute style quiz and based on my preferences, they offered suggestions that would best match my lifestyle. I'm filming in a few weeks and I literally just got the cutest blazers delivered to my door in as little as two days. And when I'm ready for new clothes, I can just swap them out for more new-to-me styles. So whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for some black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room and you won't have to feel bad for only wearing something once. Now, what I also love is that Armoire is woman-founded and women-led. They even spotlight women-owned designers on their website. So I know I'm wearing brands that are aligned with my values. I love that I can support a business that's built by women like me. If you're ready to have your dream closet delivered to your door, you might want to try Armoire. I promise you will never be without the perfect outfit for any occasion ever again. And right now, Redefining Wealth listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash wealth. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash wealth to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Right, and so we had a really specific focus on mental health at work and training and educating people, offering mental health first aid to all of our people to really make the conversation more comfortable. And what I tell people is that, you know, for some of us, having a conversation about our mental health or someone else's mental health may not be, may, may never be a comfortable conversation. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be having it. We need to all know how to have 
uncomfortable um, conversations that, you know, especially if it's about getting help for ourselves or getting help for someone else. And so we have a very strong focus on, on mental health, but then also part of our framework is purpose, right? And helping people discover what their own personal purpose is. I'm sure you know this, right? I mean, there's so many people that go throughout life and they have never defined them this for themselves or the, the mindset that, you know, purpose has to be this massive life changing thing where I'm going to impact hundreds of thousands of people. And if I don't, then it's not worth doing. Right. We've been sold that like purpose, like has to be something huge. Well, purpose could just be supporting your family or doing something important in your community. Right. And so helping people define what does that look like? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? It could be as simple as that. And how do we thread that through in the work that they do every day? You know, is there a way to align personal purpose with organizational purpose to bring it through in the work that we do? Because that makes the work more meaningful. Um, So that's kind of a little bit about, you know, like our framework and what we do. But I think the language and the education and providing opportunities for people to get educated, to lean into the areas that matter most to them or where they need the most help or where they want to focus in terms of their own well-being. And so remember, we've been at it for seven years. So we have a lot of tools and resources and experience. You know, when you're starting, I think the key thing is if you're just starting out, what's really important and what has been really impactful for us at Deloitte is ask your workforce, what do you want? What is meaningful to you? How would you prioritize it? If we can only do three things, what are the three things that we, you would do? Because I, what I see a lot of organizations do is, you know, they roll out well-being programs or roll out a well-being technology platform with all the best intentions. And all of these things are great. You know, there's, there's great platforms out there. There's great learning and development resources. But if you haven't asked your workforce what matters to them and what they need, you might roll something out and it's not what your workforce needs. And then you're sitting back going, well, we tried it and it didn't work. (laughs) And we're like, and you know, when I have those conversations with clients or with other organizations, I'm like, well, did you ask your people what they needed or did you just roll, you know, pick some things and roll it out and kind of throw spaghetti against the wall and see if it sticks? Right. And so I think engaging your workforce in the conversation around well-being is critically important because people want to have a voice. You know, they want to yeah. be heard. You know, even if you don't do what they say, the fact that you asked actually increases engagement and loyalty Absolutely. to the organization. Oh, there's so many goodies in here. So <laughs> one of the first things that I want to go back to is that I have said forever. I know as long as I've had this podcast that purpose is not about being an entrepreneur, right? right? Purpose is literally about how do you use your God-given gifts like in, in the marketplace, like period. And I've always felt like you could utilize your purpose in a corporate setting, yeah. right? And I think it's so important that you make that connection because for us, one of the disconnects I've seen with people in their personal finance is that they usually are trying to fill a void when they're not operating in purpose. So I go to work, I hate my job, right? It continues to fill this void um, because I may not be using my gifts in the best. It may not even be the workplace. Maybe you're in the wrong department. So right gift, wrong department, or right gift, wrong industry, using it in a place where it's not truly um, being utilized to its fullest potential. Now it creates a void and now we wanna shop or we want to buy things, or we want to buy people. And so there is such a connection between operating and purpose. And I really do believe 
you know, for workplaces that if people were using their gifts and truly felt like they were in purpose, you would have better output. Like a hundred percent. And, and I think, you know, when you, when you start to dig deep on purpose and I've spent a lot of time with people on purpose, kind of what you get to is, you know, it's, it's, how do we want to, it's about helping other human beings, right? It's about, it's about leaving the world a better place. You know, when we walk out of the room, how do the people that we walked out of the room feel about us? Right. And so really, I mean, then that can take on, um, you know, so many different characteristics, but if you really peel back the onion, it's about helping other human beings. And so everybody, regardless of their job should be able to pull purpose. I mean, if you interact, unless you just interact with robots and machines all day, (laughs) which I don't think any of us do yet, um, you know, you can pull purpose through, you know, how are you interacting with the other human beings in your organization? You know, and so, because people say to me all the time, well, yeah, Jen, it's easy for you to talk about purpose and to have purpose and meaning in your work because you're the chief well-being officer. And I say, yeah, you're right. That's absolutely true. But do you interact with other human beings? Can you leave them a little bit better off than, you know, when you got there? Can you show them or teach them how to do something? Mm-hmm. Can you do something that creates space for them to grow and learn? Can you do something that supports their well-being? All of those things can connect back to purpose. And so I think that's what we all need to understand. And, and if, even if you do hate your job, that makes your job a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I think just the awareness around what would make it better gives you an opportunity to advocate for it, yeah. right? So how can I use this more in my daily work? Well, that, that would give me a better sense of purpose. It would, And it's contagious, honestly. When you start yes. doing it, other people pick up, they notice it, they pick up on it, and it just creates a much better environment for everybody to be in. Absolutely. Hey, Jen, when we get back from break, I want to go back to something you said. You said mental mental health first aid. Yes. I'm really <laughs> curious about what mental health first aid is, and we'll jump into your book, Work Better Together, right after this break. Hey, Purpose Chasers, good news. The Chase Purpose Not Money merch store is now open 365 days a year, 24-7. So if you've been waiting to get your Chase Purpose Not Money merch, now is the time. You can grab your tees, your sweatshirts, your hoodies, your candles, your mugs, whatever it is you want to represent that you are a purpose chaser is available for you. Just head to chasepurposenotmoney.com. Okay, Jen, so before the break, you mentioned mental health first aid, and that was like ding, ding, ding. (laughs) What does that mean exactly? Yeah, so mental health first aid, it's actually a, a worldwide program. You can you can go online and look up mental or go to mentalhealthfirstaid.org. Um, and it is a, a worldwide program that is really a community-based program that um, teaches anyone. Um, you know, really, I, I think, you know, the way I would describe it is, you know, what is mental health, what is mental illness, what isn't it, (laughs) which is just as important, especially because of the stigma associated with it. How do you identify or, you know, I, you know, notice or recognize that somebody might be struggling with their mental health or be in a mental health crisis? And then how do you help them? You know, so how do you approach them? How do you have a compassionate conversation? Not how do you fix it? 
because it's not your responsibility to fix it unless you are a mental health professional or practitioners. But how do you have a conversation with them to let them know that you're there for them, they're not alone, and that you're willing to help them get the help that they need if that's where they are in, you know, mm. in, in their mindset. But really just saying, hey, you know, I, you know, it's almost, it, it's not simple, but it sounds simple, but like, hey, Patrice, you know, I, I noticed you're not yourself. Is there something going on? How can I support you? You know, and, and you might say, hey, Jen, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not doing well. I'm struggling. I'm really anxious. I feel really depressed. I haven't been able to sleep, you know, and I don't know what to do. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, the training kind of helps you go have conversations like that in a compassionate and caring way so that you can let the person know, hey, you're not alone. And if you want help, I'm here to help you find the right help. And so that's what it is. It's a training program. It's available worldwide to anybody in, you know, any community. They offer them at churches and community centers and things like that. And what we've done at Deloitte is taken that curriculum because it's a publicly available curriculum and really, um, you know, customized it to Deloitte and our culture and some of the things that we see in our culture that could potentially, you know, um, that, that might be unique about our culture, but honestly, not really, because people are people. <laughs> um, but really just kind of tailoring it towards our workforce and some of the unique things that, you know, that, that are that are resonant in, um, in our profession. And so, and it's a, it's a program that's available for everybody at Deloitte if they want to take advantage of it. I love that, because one of my questions was going to be, how can Purpose Chasers in corporate America advocate for themselves. And I think similar to what you were able to do when you create this study, this case um, for why this is important, even leaning in to that curriculum yeah. could be, you know, really great material. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's, I mean, in addition to that, I mean, there's so much out there from, there's so much research out there now um, when I started my business case, there, there wasn't very much, but there's so much research out there now about, you know, the value of, of well-being um, on with, within an organization and organizations that focus on it and kind of the difference in the workforce and the difference in, you know, productivity and healthcare costs. I mean, there's hard dollars and hard metrics associated with these things now. Um, you know, whereas when I was putting together my business case that, you know, we kind of had to create some of those just based on the data that existed. But, you know, the truth is, is, you know, if, if the, if you're an organization that cares about your people, and I don't really know any organization that says publicly that they don't care about their people. <laughs> Right. We'll so this, say it, Jen. I know, but that's what this is where this is where it's not about talking the talk. You gotta you gotta walk the talk yeah, too, right? Yeah. So if you really truly care about your organization, this is the right thing to do for your people, and it will come back to you in spades. I mean, it really does impact the bottom line. So, Jen, I'm wondering then because for years, you know, people I'm sure have said, "Oh, we care about our workforce." At what point do you feel like? it became apparent that this just couldn't be a line item under human resources. Like this needed to be its own thing. Yeah, I mean, I, for us at Deloitte, there, you know, if, if you kind of rewind seven years ago, um, and, and it's not, 
well, it's a lot different than today in that we weren't going through the a, a global pandemic. <laughs> but, you know, it was a very disrupted time. You know, technology was really embedding itself into every aspect of our life, including our work life. And so we were starting to be able to you know, work from anywhere, if you will. We all were starting to have electronic devices and we were connected to work more often, you know, more than we ever were before. You know, we didn't walk out the door and not, we were starting to check our email in the evening and, <laughs> you know, those types. So the ways that we were working were with because of technology or how much we were connected was starting to change, right? And really making an impact on the workforce and the ways of, in which we were working. Um, but, you know, that too, had, there's benefits and then there's the negative side of it, right? Being able to work from anywhere is great, but being able to work from the beach while you're on vacation with your family isn't so great. <laughs> not so much, not so much. Like that actually leads me because it leads me to work better together. So in the opening for your book, Work Better Together, um, there's the fictitious character, Ellen. And it kind of goes through how Ellen is leading 200 people and she's constantly being, you know, recognized for her great work and her team is doing well and all of that stuff. And she is very, very connected technology wise and then disconnected people wise. Do you know and who Ellen was? Was that you? Well, I think I think there's a little bit of all of us in Ellen. I think so. I think there's a little Ellen in all of us because the technology that we, you know, use is supposed to simplify life, right? And what it really has done for many of us is just like complicated a bit because we're always connected, like you said, that that smartphone at your pillow waiting for it to vibrate you know and be on at a moment's notice yeah it's not healthy well and i also think you know and we write we write about this in the book um you know for there's uh, we're not technology haters and technology isn't going away um but but i also think one of the detriments especially to the relationships in our life whether that is you know our personal relationships our work relationships or some combination of both you know the technology has desensitized us to being human. Mm. Say <laughs> um, it again, desensitized <laughs> us to being human. Yeah, and so you know we we react and respond to digital communications in ways that we probably never would if somebody was actually standing or sitting in front of us. Um, but we don't think about that because what we're communicating with is actually a digital device, and we don't process or necessarily stop to think about, okay, well, who's on the other end and how are they going to receive this or perceive this? Because we've all gotten or sent messages that we, we, we meant one way and the person on the other end took it the other way or vice yeah. versa, you know? And so everybody receives messages kind of in the emotional state that they're in. And if you're sitting in front of somebody, you can actually, if you're looking them in the eye, you have a much better view as to what their emotional state is. And when you have real eye contact and real body language and those things that you can't do digitally, it's even hard over Zoom, you know, or, or any of these digital platforms, right? There's been a lot of research coming out, you know, over the past two years that we just can't, we can't, you know, we need to use technology to enhance 
who we are as human beings, but not replace because um, it can never actually replace true human connection. And so we talk about in the book how, you know, we are more connected than we've ever been. But the, the, the incidence of loneliness is higher than it's ever been. The number of people that respond to surveys to say that they're lonely um, is higher than it's ever been, but we're more connected than we've ever been through technology, through our digital devices. So that tells you something. It's not true human connection if we're still feeling lonely. So is what you're saying that it, are you basically saying then we need to get off so much technology and return to like the in-person meetings or at least picking up the phone and talking <laughs> to someone i've literally been across like across the room from and someone. send like, somebody and a text know, message yeah, and they send a text <laughs> message or you know they call and it's like i could have totally just gotten up and taken 20 steps and been right in front of you yeah like when like how do we get back to that though? yeah so i think it's such a great question right i think that there's a role for technology and there's a role for you know in-person you know connection and i don't think in the workplace that we're ever, you know, that's why, you know, there's, there's, there's this spectrum of views, right? Like everybody's going back to the office or we're never going back to the office. <laughs> right. And I don't think, you know, either one of those is right. I think that it's somewhere in between. And I think what's really important for organizations and for people is to think about why do we gather? You know, when, when we used to go to the office every single day, what did we like about it? And what do we hate about it? And what we liked about it, let's preserve that and try to get back to that. But why we, you know, when we go to the office, it's really meant, it's actually, I, I believe, will become less about getting work done and more about connecting with one another because that makes us better at getting our work done, yeah. right? And so if you think about, um, you know, everybody used to get excited about like workplace offsites, like offsites were fun. We would gather, we would learn something new. We would connect with each other. I think going into the, like the, the onsite, like going into the office is the new offsite, but we have to make going into the office something that's exciting and fun and that people are going to get something out of it. Going to the office just to sit in a conference room in front of our laptops with eight other people and not talk to each other all day we might as well work remotely <laughs> that's true. i mean that's true even yeah. for me as an entrepreneur who has a remote team my entire team is all over the country yeah and so for us a couple times a year we're meeting together for what we call team retreats but it is wonderful to get to hang out and see each other in person i mean i just did a live event for my community um i teach a course called command the stage and we had a live event at the end of the course and i was literally rubbing people on their arms like oh my gosh you're real like and i told them i was like if i just walk by you and rub you it is just because i'm so excited don't think it's like to be around a real human being yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh you are not in a little box on my computer screen you're a real person and it was just there's nothing like that. I think, you know, before the pandemic, you totally took that for granted. Took it for granted. And yeah. so now I see those opportunities to gather in person as like. Yeah. And, and those are, those are the, the that's what's going to enhance our, you know, our not in person relationships. So our digital relationships. Right. I mean, it's really what we've learned at Deloitte and so many other organizations is that people that joined organizations during the pandemic 
had a much more difficult time developing relationships, understanding organizational cultures and norms, really understanding expectations, because those are the things that come out when you're gathered in person, right? Those are the things where like role modeling and I mean, we're, we're, when we're watching others and interacting with others, those are the things that we learn. And it's really hard to replicate that in a digital world. However, if you have you know, times like you and your team do, where you meet, you know, a few times a year, that's when the bonding really happens. And then that sustains you, you know, you're able to get on a video call and be like, hey, how's your kid? How's this? Tell me about that. You know, I mean, it like you can sustain and, and, you know, keep those relationships strong digitally, but you have to have those, you know, those moments, we call them moments that matter at Deloitte, when we, we gather at moments that matter, matter, right? And that does help sustain, you know, and that's kind of the hybrid model. Like, we need yeah. to be, we need to be thoughtful about when we come together and when we don't. And what does that look like for, because every team, honestly, is going to be different. And it also depends on the type of work you're doing. I mean, if you're kind of doing heads down work, and you don't really need to engage with other people to do your work, then there's not really a point in forcing you to come back to the office, yeah. <laughs> you know? So coming back to the office is about relationship building, culture building, cultural norms, behavioral norms, those types of things that are truly uniquely human that are just really hard to do in a digital, in our only digital world. So what do you suggest for people who understand definitely that they are possibly at burnout? or they have been in some form of burnout before, and they are trying to set better boundaries mm. for themselves in organizations that say they value uh, their their team's mental well-being, right? But again, maybe you don't have a supervisor or coworkers who necessarily um, honor that. How yeah. do you navigate those types of scenarios? Yeah, so I mean, look, I think there's a couple of things, right? We are all responsible in a, I mean, we're all responsible for our own well being, right? And it's easy to say, well, they overran my boundary. <laughs> and, um, and I'm not saying that they didn't, right? But did you communicate that it was a boundary? Did you communicate that it was a need? Um, and, and we have to get comfortable and confident in standing up for our own needs. And that's hard, <laughs> especially if you work on a team or in an organization that you don't feel like values it, right? And so I think one of the things that you can do and what we do at Deloitte is, you know, we call them team behaviors and norms. And so if you have a leader that you believe, you know, doesn't, you know, that overruns your boundaries or doesn't value well-being or whatever it is, first of all, I would say, Perhaps give the leader a break because leaders are people too <laughs> and they might be struggling and they might not know what to do about it. So cut them a little bit of a break. But what I would say is instead of going to the leader with a problem, get together with some of your colleagues and say, hey, are you struggling with this? What are some solutions? How can we come up with some like expressed behaviors and norms on our teams in terms of the way that we want to work? And then go to your leader and say, you know, with two or three other people, hey, we talked about this and we have some ideas. Here are some things that we want to try on our team to see if it helps all of us and include the leader in that. We want that we want it to help you, too, because chances are if you're struggling, the leader is probably struggling as well. And they just don't have the time or the capacity or the know how. I mean, some people just aren't wired this way. Um, and so I think coming up and so some easy ones. Right. What are our standard working hours? 
you know, when do we all generally expect to kind of be online if you're working in a digital, you know, a virtual environment where we can, you know, collaborate, communicate, um, and what happens outside of standard working hours, right? So how are we going to communicate if there is a true emergency? And I think we need to define emergency and priority. <laughs> Ooh, that is so good because as my, my girlfriend, Tanya Dalton says, you can't have 15 priorities. No, priority means one. It's a priority. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, defining what that really means. And then out, so outside of those standard working hours, when there's a true emergency, how do we get in touch with each other and don't leave it up to email because then everybody feels like they constantly have to be checking emails because human beings are wired to think there's an emergency at all times that's how we're wired because we're wired for survival and that part of our brain is incredibly powerful <laughs> even today even though we're not being chased by lions and bears we think we are <laughs> Yeah. You know, and so setting, just being clear about those expectations. How do we want to handle lunch? Do we all want to step away from our laptop from lunch? How do we want to handle learning and development? Do we all want to block an hour on Friday or two hours on Friday to collectively do learning and development or individually do learning and development? There's so many behaviors and norms that you can come up with as a team. Um, they're kind of endless and it really just depends on what your team's needs are and how they work. Um, and, and what the type of work that you're doing, but having those conversations, I mean, that's what work better together really talks about is like, we need to start communicating with each other as human beings. <laughs> it's really yeah. as basic as that, but we've lost that. And especially in the workplace, we've lost that. And so it's kind of like getting back to basics. And so discuss it. I mean, you know, we talk about in the book, yes, organizational culture is really important, but the most impactful culture are the microcultures on the teams that we work on. Those are the cultures that actually have the biggest impact on our day-to-day well-being because those are the people that we interact most with. And if somebody's mm -hmm. a jerk or somebody has no respect for your boundaries, that's going to impact you even if the organization is saying, yes, take time off, yes, disconnect, yes, do all of these things. If that's not working for you on your team, then have conversations with your colleagues because if it's not working for you, it's probably not working for them either. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it really comes down to just knowing what you want, right? And and again, using your voice to communicate that as much as possible. And I think to your point, you know, nothing gets solved when we just complain. When mm -hmm. we whine, cry, complain about it, you know, nothing actually gets solved. If we go with here are very specific things, um, which reminds me of this really funny social media I think it was on Instagram or Facebook and it was talking about uh, Gen Zers and a young man was going hey well I'm you know so excited to be on the team and he goes um, my break is from 12 to 1 I will not answer you you know he's like I am unavailable when my uh, you know auto message comes on in the evening and they were talking about how younger people are just naturally it seems more inclined they they are more verse because we're talking about it now about purpose and well-being so they're very clear but i'm finding for especially in my audience the 30s and 40s you oh know, yeah 50s, it's we like, weren't raised that way we weren't we raised were, that we were way raised so you, to just accept it <laughs> yeah and you're raised to like do whatever it takes yeah, yeah. you know to yeah. get the job done and what i'm seeing because in my group coaching programs i typically work uh, with women who are in corporate America trying to figure out what that next thing is going to be for them, right? And I see many people who are a part of the great resignation 
recreating the same cycles of burnout mm -hmm. that they say they're leaving. And yeah. I can tell you that even on my team, I find myself telling, telling my girls all the time, like, why are you up? Mm -hmm. Why are you sending me this? Why are you still texting? Like, go to sleep or like, go be with your family. I'm telling them to stop yeah. working on my stuff, right? Yeah. And they've gotten really smart. All they do is schedule things to go Delay out. Delay delivery. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're still up at 11 doing stuff. And I'm like, wow, you were eight just sending out emails. And even, you know, my right-hand girl, Tony, she's like, nope, I did that at 11.30 last night. I'm like, Tony, didn't I tell you to stop working that late? But when you come from those environments where that is what works, it's that's hard to how break it, those cycles. Meant, it is yeah. so hard to break the cycle and one of the things that i'm really passionate about is just reminding people that that well-being piece doesn't get activated just because you left some environment like it's something that you have to start to practice and put into place wherever you are now just because you become an entrepreneur doesn't mean all of a sudden if anything is going to be worse because when you become an entrepreneur you're wearing 15 different hats right. and now you're already used, you know, used to burning the candle at both ends, and that's not healthy either. Yeah, I, I would say the thing that I tell people about well-being is um, it, it's a it's a daily pursuit, and it's daily choices that you make. We have been, you know, convinced by the marketing gurus of the world, and I love marketing gurus. I used to be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know that 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 well-being is, you know, self-care Sunday or Wine Wednesday or you know something that we do when we are overwhelmed or burnt out or we've had a long week or a long day. And it's not that. It's actually really difficult choices. Choices to say, hey, no, I'm not going to do that because I know if I do that tomorrow, I'm going to show up and not be at my best or I'm not going to be proud of who I show up as. Or no, I'm not going to do that because it doesn't align with my goals and my purpose and it doesn't get me closer to where I want to be and who I want to be. And those are hard choices. And so you have to get clear and feel really comfortable with that so you can say no because saying no is really hard it is. <laughs> you know because none of us really want to let anybody down and so especially you know in our workplaces and high-performing cultures with high-performing women you know saying no is really hard but i always tell people when it comes to saying no it's not just about like saying no you can say no but here's another option or here's another can i connect you with this person maybe they can do it or you know you can still be helpful or you know what you can just say no there's <laughs> that. That a complete sentence. <laughs> there's that as well um jen before i let you go i want to ask you what we call redefining wealth rapid wisdom questions so uh -oh. you're going to tell us the first thing that comes to mind okay the first one is how do you define success how do I find success? Um, eat, move, sleep, find joy every day. Love it. <laughs> okay, how do you define wealth in three words or less? How do I define wealth? Relationships, strong relationships. That includes with myself and others. That wasn't three words, but that wasn't three I words. I totally broke the rules. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do I'm it not again. The first one, right? <laughs> Oh, I just make people do it again. Okay, so how do you narrow that down? How do I know? Oh, so three words. Mm -hmm. Relationships, myself, and others. Okay, it's four words. Race, relationships, myself, others. Okay, yeah, we'll take out the end. That's fine. That's fine. Come <laughs> What's on. One book? I, I'll take it easy on you. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? How I see wealth. 
probably one of Brene Brown's books. Anything from Brene Brown. Any from Brene Brown, yeah. I love her. Um, okay, you're going to fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Jen, and for me, the truth about wealth is it's all around us. We just need to know how to capture it. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I love it. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today on the Redefining Wealth podcast. I know the book is Work Better Together. How can the audience connect with you out there online? Yeah, so the book is available Amazon or your favorite book reseller, reseller um, should be able to get it for you. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at jenfish23. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, and like you said at your opening, um, I'm the host of the Work Well podcast. So work well, all one word on any podcatcher. Love it. Purpose Chasers, I hope that you have found value in this conversation. I know that many of you are chasing purpose within corporate America, within someone else's organization. And I really wanted you to lean into this conversation because Maybe you're settling for something that you actually have the power to change. If you speak up and use your voice about how you can be more well in that organization, not just for yourself, but also for the rest of your team, for every person there, it could all start with you. So I hope that you are encouraged by Jen's story. Definitely pick up the book and find other tools and resources that you can possibly incorporate, again, to be a blessing to you and a blessing to all around you because you know that there is no wealth building without well-being, all right? So until the next episode, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and of course, earn more without chasing money. Talk to you later.